Well, good morning. If you're new here, it is a joy to have you. Uh, My name is Trevor, and I'm actually one of the lay preachers here at Maricopa Springs. Grady, our main preaching pastor, is gone this week on vacation with his family, which he, I think, is enjoying much and is good to have him go. Uh, But with that, he's asked that I preach this week, and I'll actually be preaching next week as well. So we'll know which of you truly love Christ more than the preacher if you come back next week. But I like to say, as the main preacher goes away, the late preacher will play. And so for the next two weeks, it'll be my joy to preach the word to us. And we're going to be in Luke 22 this morning, 54 through 62. Luke 22, 54 through 62. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back. Don't be ashamed. If you need one, we want you to have it so you can follow along with us in the word. Luke 22, 54 through 62. Let's read the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in together. Verse 54, They seized him, that is Jesus, and led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. And about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he also is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Lord, as my prayer has been, and I pray now with your people, God, that you would do three things this morning specifically. One, God, that you would encourage us in your faithfulness through your word this morning. God, your sheep that are here that love you, God, this is a text that we can gain great encouragement from through the faithfulness of Christ, through your sovereign goodness, Lord. So I pray that upon us this morning through the preaching of your word. Number two, Lord, I pray that, God, those who are here who do love you but are needing to be rebuked from this text because of our unfaithfulness, Lord, that you would use this text to do that, to restore, to bring back, and to strengthen. And then third, God, I pray that if there is anybody here this morning who has yet to believe upon Christ, who has yet to receive the gospel, God, that today would be the day that they would be saved. Today would be the day they would hear the word. And as Gabe just proclaimed, the power of God must go forth so that you save sinners. It is your word that saves. God, strengthen us, fill us afresh, that we might take great joy in you. We bless your name and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 22, 54 through 62, I want to give a little backdrop here. If you've been with us, we've been preaching through Luke every single week, and it seems like we've been in the chapter 22 for about five, six weeks now. I preached about five weeks ago on this chapter, 
on, the, on how the apostles were actually arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And if you recall a little bit before that, they were having the Passover meal, and Jesus predicts that Judas would actually betray him. And what we have here leading up to this text is almost kind of like a chiastic structure of, uh, of, of the text. And what I mean by that is we see that Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal, and then Jesus actually predicts Peter's denial, and then Grady preached on this last week that Judas betrays Jesus, and now we're going to look at Peter denies Jesus. So you can see the structure, almost a poetic form that Luke writes this for us this morning. But I want to start in verse 54. Let's read it again. It says that they seized him. This is the, the high priest, the, the guards of uh, the high priest, and, and their order came and arrested Jesus. If you remember last week, they had clubs, and they came as if to arrest a robber, and Jesus gives himself up willingly, and so they bring him now before the high priest's house, it says. And as they draw Jesus in in the middle of the night, it says that following at a distance was Peter. And I want to highlight something for us here because Peter has got a bad rap, and Grady seems to like to talk about Peter's failings for us. And it's true, Peter fails a lot. But I want to start off this sermon by highlighting that Jesus loves, or I'm sorry, that Peter loves Jesus. Peter loves Jesus. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ earlier in Jesus' ministry. When everybody else wanted to leave Jesus, because of the words that he spoke, it was Peter who said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It was Peter who, when Jesus came out on the Sea of Galilee while they were crossing and the storm came, it was Peter who said, Lord, let me come and walk out to you on the water. And earlier in Luke, if you were here maybe four years ago, in chapter 5, we see the calling of the disciples, and specifically Peter, Jesus told them to go cast their nets after they'd been fishing all night, and Peter begrudgingly said, okay, Lord, I mean, I guess we'll go do it. You know, we've been fishing all night. And when he throws his net over, what he finds is that the fish are so abundant, the ships start to sink. And if you remember, Peter falls on his knees before Jesus and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Peter experienced the love of Christ. He knows the forgiving grace of Christ. And so I want us to recognize as we're about to see Peter falling short that he truly does love Jesus. And this is going to be an encouragement for us because if you are here this morning and you really love Christ, you know you fall short too, okay? And we need to have that encouragement to know that we truly do love our Lord. So let's expound here. Let's read verses 55 through 60, okay? This is the main chunk of this text. We're not going to get into every detail about each denial here, but I want to point out for us three contrasting points in comparison to the three times that Peter denied Christ, that we as Christians need to be on guard against, okay? Let's read the text, though, again, verses 55 through 60. It says that they lit a fire, this crowd. It's cold. It's the middle of the night. There's a fire lit. And as they're sitting in the courtyard together, Peter sat among them. And when a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him, too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, someone else saw him and said, 
you are one of them too. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about an hour later, another kept insisting, though this man was certainly with him, since he also is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. To give a little backdrop here, G, or, or Peter is a Galilean. This might sound strange. Why is it that they picked up on this? Uh, Galilee was a certain area, okay, just like you guys live in Maricopa, and if somebody was from New York and they were sitting in here by a fire talking, you'd probably go, that, that guy's definitely not from Maricopa, right? His accent is different. In the same way, they knew that Peter was a Galilean, and Jesus had his ministry in Galilee. He called the disciples from Galilee. So they knew that Peter was one of his disciples. And in this text here, Peter denies the Lord three times. And I want to highlight for us how true love is tampered by the world. If you're taking notes, some of you are. We are going to have some verses here. If you could put those up for us, Ron. How true love is tampered by the world. And the first one that we need to be aware of that Peter falls short of here, but we need to be on guard against is the fact that Peter was ashamed of the gospel in the moment. In the moment. Romans 1.16, Paul later writing after he had been converted to the church of Rome, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. As Christians here today, I'm sure all of us have been at times ashamed of the gospel. Just as Peter was here earlier, he was ready to die for Christ. He was ready to kill for Christ's name, pulling out the sword, hacking off somebody's ear, and yet sitting around a little bonfire, okay, spoken to by a servant girl, he was afraid to confess that he actually was a follower of Christ. He was ashamed of Christ in the moment. And we have to be on guard against that every single day. Just a couple weeks ago, I was riding around at work with a co-worker, and this man professes faith in Christ, and yet I think he is far from Jesus. The speech, the way he talks, the way he acts just would not in any way, shape, or form prove that he really loved Christ. And yet, while I would toss out a little seed here or there, I wasn't bold enough to just proclaim the gospel to him and confront him. And I was convicted of that. I was ashamed of the gospel. We cannot be. It's the power of God for us if we are in Christ. If you are here this morning and you have believed, you know the joy, the power of the gospel. How can we not take that banner, hold it up high, and proclaim it to all? But Peter was ashamed, number one. Number two, and the second verse up here comes from Galatians chapter 1, and that is this, that we have to be on guard against seeking the approval of man. These all really flow together, but Peter here was more concerned about the approval of those around him than he was the approval of his master. Jesus multiple times told them, "If right, you're going to come after me, you will suffer. To enter into the kingdom, you must suffer and here Peter has the opportunity, if you play golf, it's like the ball was teed up perfectly and Peter just walked away. He wanted the approval of man rather than the approval of God. And listen what Paul again writes to the church of Galatia. He says after he's confronting them about heresy, he's confronting 
the, the teaching that says that Jesus plus something equals salvation. Maybe some of you here this morning might even believe that. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus trying to do your best. Jesus, or Paul here says, no, that's, that's not the case. If you believe that, you will be cut off from Christ. You will be damned. You will go to hell. Words that a lot of people don't like to use. And so Paul says, look, for am I now seeking the approval of man in what I'm writing to you? Is that my goal? Or am I seeking the approval of God? He says, or am I trying to please man? For if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Peter here clearly fell short of this, right? He had an opportunity, but instead of being a servant of Christ, he he was more concerned about man. And we must guard against this specifically as well. I think as Christians, we live right in such a dark, depraved world. We see sin rampant all over the place. And just simply living a holy life will set us apart, right? But when we speak out, if we open our mouth and we say, no, if you live like this, you will be condemned. We're not saying that to be mean to people. We're saying that because we love sinners and we want them to be saved. We want them to be rescued. But we cannot be concerned about what others are going to think of us. If that was the case, then we cannot be Christ's servants. And so we must guard against that. And number three, this comes from Luke earlier on in verse 14, we have to deny ourselves, even to our own life, if we are going to be a disciple of Christ. And here Peter falls short as he denies Christ a third time. I'm sure later the words of Luke would come to mind for Peter. If anybody comes to me, And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot or she cannot be my disciple. This is big. This is like the apex of following Jesus. Like if you knew that if you confess Christ, you're going to die. Jesus says, yes, that's, that's what it means to follow me. The word hate here doesn't necessarily mean to hate how we might think it, but everything else becomes less. So Christ is the greatest treasure. He is elevated. Following him is elevated to the extent of anything that would get in the way. Sadly, my dad, whom I do love deeply, he is not a follower of Christ. He actually is a homosexual. And yesterday he sends me this text out of the blue that basically says that twist the scriptures to advocate homosexuality. And in the midst of that, I responded back to him gently and lovingly, and his response to me was, it's sad, Trevor, that your own interpretation of the Bible would lead you to disconnect yourself from your family. And I thought exactly of this text. Jesus says we're going to be hated even by our own family members, blood, because we love Christ. Not because we hate them, not because we're mean to them, not because we're harsh with them, but but because we love Jesus more than everything else. And even our own life, if it came down to it, must be set aside to be a disciple of Christ. And we need to take away from this passage here that as Peter falls short, we we need to take away, but for the grace of God, so would we. Right? But for the grace of God, each one of us, given that circumstance, we would also depart from Christ. Apart from God's grace, his kindness to save us, his kindness to empower us, But a couple things that I think we need to take away, guys. If you love Christ and you're not doing things like studying the scriptures, and not because it's just a duty, not because, oh, that's just what Christians do, we read the Bible, but because you love the word, 
If you are not being filled with the implanted word of Christ on a daily basis, whether that's reading one verse, whether that's having time to read a whole chapter, maybe you get to step away for a day and read an entire book of the Bible. Maybe it's driving to work in the morning. Maricopa, it's a far drive. Maybe it's just listening to the Bible on audio, renewing your mind, having it saturate your life. Perhaps it's just meditating on it as you go about your day, praying it as Gabe said, talking about the word with other Christians. How many of us are truly fellowshipping with other believers? And by fellowship, I mean enjoying Christ together. When we come together, we are enjoying him. We want to dive into the word, not because it's some hobby, but it's because that's where the abiding word of God dwells and we get to grow in it together. Guys, if we're not doing that, when the time comes, when testing comes, when tribulation comes, do you think we're going to be prepared or you're going to be prepared to stand up and be faithful? And the answer is no. Also, prayer, okay? If we're not praying in the Holy Spirit of God, we know this just from a couple weeks ago, the disciples, Jesus says, stay awake and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. Into temptation. We have to be on guard. We have to be praying in the Holy Spirit, filling our minds, praying the truth of God's word. And we know that this isn't just some self-help tactic, but this is actually effective and God is living and he hears prayer and he answers prayer and he gets the glory. And we need to be praying big prayers for the glory of Christ. Let's continue on. Verse 61 of our text here this morning. Verse 61 After Peter denied him the third time, a rooster crowed. Then it says, Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Let me just point out the forgetfulness that we might have as human beings. It wasn't that long ago that Jesus just told Peter, You're going to deny me. Okay? It was less than 24 hours. And here it takes Jesus peering into the eyes of Peter in the moment for Peter to recall, oh, Jesus said I was going to do this. I want to talk for a few minutes about the looking or the seeing eyes of Christ. The seeing eyes of Christ. There is a preacher, he's dead now, his name was Charles Spurgeon, some of you might be familiar with him, he was an English Baptist preacher And Spurgeon was kind of famously known for taking a verse and maybe at face value you'd read right over it. It's just like kind of, you know, a historical uh, um, narrative passage. But he would take that verse and he'd almost turn it into this juicy nugget of of just Christ-saturated truth. And so this is my attempt this morning to kind of do that for us by thinking about the seeing eyes of Christ, how Christ looked at Peter And first, I want to talk about the humanity of Christ for a moment. I read a book a few years back called The Man Christ Jesus by Bruce Ware. It's a really good book. I would recommend you read it. It changed how I viewed Christ. As a Christian now for over 10 years, my idea of the humanity of Christ was low. I I had the deity of Christ. I feel like that was elevated. But the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man And when I read this book, it just changed me. It just caused me to worship Christ in a way I had not done. And specifically, just thinking that Jesus is fully human, just like you and me. And and to think in the moment here, he's 33. I'm 33. Sometimes 
Jesus can seem like older, but he's a young man. He's 33, and Peter was one of his friends. Be like Grady and myself. We're buds, right? We're hanging out. And to think that when Jesus looked to Peter in that moment, how he was probably crushed in his humanity, that his best friend denied him three times. In the moment, to be backed up, to be cared for by one that he loved, Jesus must have been heartbroken and saddened. But at the same time, Jesus being fully man, he is also fully God. And Jesus, only he could predict that Peter would deny him. And only he knows what the end result for Peter's failure will be, and that is restoration. And so Jesus here peers into the soul of Peter. And just picture this for a moment. As I read Revelation chapter 1, can we put that up there, Ron? Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Listen to this depiction of who Jesus is by the, God, or, or by the apostle John in the book of Revelation. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is a depiction of Jesus as God. Hair white as wool, this is taken right from the book of Daniel. We see the same imagery of the Son of Man. But here it says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. And fire in the scriptures depicts for us the holiness of God, his holiness. Fire is used to describe purging away, burning away impurity. The word holy simply means to be set apart. Christ is completely set apart. He's completely unlike anything else. And specifically, he is without sin. And so here, the burning holiness of the eyes of Christ look right into Peter's soul. And to think that Peter, in the moment, should just be crushed. He should be annihilated. Peter should suffer the wrath of God on the spot. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah were toasted and burnt to ashes, just like Lot's wife, when she looked back, was turned to a pillar of salt and destroyed, just like the floodwaters in Genesis, it says that God looked upon the face of the earth, and what did he see? Man's wickedness. And what did he do? He destroyed the earth. He killed everybody. Peter should have been destroyed. But Jesus here, in his great love for Peter, just think of this, peered into his soul and saw that he would pay for his sin and saw that he would go to the cross just in a few hours and suffer the weight of the wrath of his sin towards Jesus. This is such great grace. This is such a sweet little nugget here in this text. 1 Peter 3, Peter writing later says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hears, I'm sorry, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter knew that he deserved to die, that he deserved to suffer. Proverbs, Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
keeping watch on the evil and on the good. In Hebrews 4.13, this probably is the weightiest of them all, it says that no creature, we are creatures, are hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I want to ask you this morning, how does the Lord see you? When Christ peers into your soul, does he see Christ's blood covering you in his grace? Does he see one who is washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does he see one who can trick others, can go to church, can talk Christianese, but yet all the while when God peers into the soul, when Jesus looks to the eyes of the heart, he knows that you're a fraud. He knows that you're a hypocrite. He knows that you don't really love him, that you haven't bowed the knee to Christ, that he isn't your greatest treasure, that you love the things of this world more than him. And if that's you today, I want this text to pierce your heart. I pray that the seeing eyes of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the fire of his eyes would pierce your heart today, crack your hardened heart, and breathe life into your soul that you would see the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ this morning. That you would not go another day, another moment, playing Christian, but that you would truly bow the knee and turn over your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let's press on. Verse 62. Verse 62. You could go to the next slide, Ron. It says this, And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. I want to talk here about the restoration of Peter. I had Gabe read that passage from John. We'll read it again of how later, after Jesus raises from the dead, Jesus comes to Peter, says three times to him, which is not coincidence, do you love me, Peter? And he restores him. Luke here does not talk about the restoration of Peter in his gospel, but we know that he will be restored. Luke 22, 31, when he predicted his his denial, said, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want to talk about genuine repentance for a couple minutes here. Genuine repentance. It says that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. In 2 Corinthians verses, in chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, it says this. Paul writing to the church of Corinth, rebuking them in their sin, calling them to repent, wrote a hard letter, and he says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved by my letter that I gave to you, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Peter here wept bitterly. I think one sign of genuine repentance is have you truly wept bitterly before the Lord? Has the gospel caused you 
to just sit before Christ and weep because of your sin and because of his love for you, that you, that you would just be like Peter who said, get away from me, Lord, I, I, I'm a sinner. And yet Christ reaches in and pulls you in and tucks you into his breast and says, no, I love you. Have you wept over your sin? And a true weeping, though, because you could weep. People can weep, and I've seen this, right? People sin, they fall short, and for the moment they cry about it, but it's not because they really love Christ. It's not because they want to please God. It's just because they want to get out of the momentary suffering that comes through disobedience, right? We see this all the time. Athletes do something. They sin. They get drunk. They crash a car. They abuse a woman. Whatever it is, they go, I, I won't do it again. I won't. I'm so saddened. Why? Because my reputation's marred a little bit because I'm going to lose some money, right? They don't really love Christ, and the truth is they don't truly repent. They don't truly repent. But here Peter wept bitterly, and I want to contrast this with Judas, guys, because Judas also sinned against Christ, and his sinning, though, did not lead to genuine repentance. Judas, unlike Peter, perished while Peter is restored. And just imagine Peter here experiencing for three days the deep sadness that he must have had that he denied his Lord, who was just crucified. Because they didn't fully understand, even though they were told multiple times that Jesus was going to die and then he was going to rise from the dead and he was going to establish the kingdom and the gospel would advance. Peter here, I'm sure, just like the rest, as they, sat, as they were sitting saddened for three days, Peter's heart must have just been broken. And oh, what joy must it have been when Christ came to him after he rose from the dead and restored him in his gentleness. Let's continue on. Number one, genuine repentance. Number two, I want to talk about here in Peter's restoration the electing grace of God. The electing grace of God. Grady spoke last week and he made a comment. He said that the only thing that separated Judas from Peter was the repentance was the repentance of Peter. And in one sense, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. By God's grace, Peter repented and was restored, but Judas did not, and he was eternally damned. But if we're going to be encouraged this morning, we've got to dive into the text and see here that even underneath that, there's something greater, and that is the electing purposes of God, the love of God in Christ to choose Peter. If you recall, Peter was a fisherman, okay? And Jesus did what? He chose Peter, and he called him out. He said, you're going to follow me, come. And that was Peter's initial calling into the ministry, but there's a greater calling that happens in Peter, and it happens in every one of God's children. And that is the eternal calling to become part of the family of God. You see, ultimately, Peter here cannot stand and say, whew, man, I'm good. I repented. Judas didn't. That guy's a bum. Right? He can't. He can only say, if it was not for the grace of God, I would have also betrayed and wrecked my faith into the ground. Ephesians 1. Do we have that up here? Verses 3 through 6. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. How beautiful this is. How deep and rich and sweet this is. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. John writes in John chapter 10 about Jesus referring to himself like the good shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And my sheep, they hear my voice. And they follow me. Jesus here has called Peter to be a sheep. And Jesus said that not one of them will be snatched from my hand. Not one of them. The reason Judas is not a sheep, it tells us in the text, it says because he was chosen as the son of perdition. He was predestined by God to deny or to betray Christ and to, and to perish. But Peter was chosen to be redeemed. And this is a hard, this is a, a hard uh, topic, but it's so good and it's so sweet because when we understand that all of us sit at square one and it's only God's mercy and grace that saves us, it causes us to praise and worship Christ like we could not before. You see, earlier I said that Peter loved Jesus, and it's true, he loved him, loved him deeply. But the only reason Peter loved Jesus is because Jesus first loved Peter. John writes this for us. He says, beloved, the only reason we love God is because God first loved us. He's the groom. He pursues the bride. He makes us his own. He's the hero. We're the ones who are rescued. And Jesus prayed for Peter, and he would be sure of it, that even though Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat, that he would not fail and that he would be kept. And beloved Christian, if that's you here this morning, and perhaps you are being tempted to doubt the goodness of God, to be tempted to believe that God won't keep you, know this, that if you're his sheep, you're not going to be snatched from his hand. You will persevere in his love, and he will see to it that you enter in and out of that final green pasture awaiting those who love him. And thirdly, I want to talk about in Peter's restoration, how God had a plan to use Peter, and how God has a plan to use us too if you are in Christ this morning. And even in the midst of us falling short, man, we need to be reminded that God loves us, so he brings us back continually. He causes us to repent. And what does he do? He, he has work for each and every one of us to do. He didn't save you if you're in Christ here this morning to just kick back and coast into heaven. He saved you to be on mission. And Maricopa Springs needs to be on mission together. John 21, let me read it again. This is John's account of Peter being restored by Jesus. It said, after they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is, this is a sweet 
picture here of what God does for us as sinners. He calls us to himself. He saves us. He brings us in. And even though we have remaining sin and we fall short, he, he continues to restore and he uses us. Well, what kindness is that? This morning, I'm just praying as I preach. This morning, I'm thinking, man, God, just how kind you are to use a sinner, a creature that you made and you restored to preach your word. That's a privilege. And all of us are called to to use gifts that God has given to us. Those gifts are going to differ, but ultimately the purpose is the same, and that is to elevate and exalt Christ, to preach Christ to those who don't know him, to build each other up in love. And so let me read a couple verses for us as I close up here. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here we see another snapshot of God's sovereignty. He's planned the works. Beloved, if you're his, you're going to walk in them according to his grace. 2 Thessalonians, I've been reading 2 Thessalonians. My wife was studying it, and I've been reading it. It's just so good. I hope to preach through this book of the Bible one day. But listen to what Paul says to the church of of Thessalonica. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is such a sweet text. I've been thinking about this, how God may fulfill every resolve that we have for good and every work of faith by his power. Christian, are you praying this? Is your heart filled with God's will to make much of Christ? If that's the case, then your resolve for good is going to be answered. We're told when we pray according to his will, to not pray and get things for us, but to use them for him, that he's going to answer those prayers. And here Paul is praying the same thing for this church. And then look at verse, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 Verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Guys, as Jesus restored Peter, his main goal was to feed the sheep, tend the lambs, build up the church. And when we're built up, we're built up in our love for one another. Jesus said, this is how they will know, they meaning those who don't believe, this is how they're going to know that we're set apart as his disciples. Because we love one another. Because we care for one another. He says here that your faith might be growing abundantly. I once again just, guys, that's a big word, abundantly. That might remind you of John chapter 15. Jesus said that that we would have abundant fruit. That we would live an abundant life in John 10. Guys, is your faith growing abundantly so that the fruit on your tree is luscious. You can pull it off, right? People can see it. They're blessed by it. This is what God has called us to, and if we here this morning aren't seeing this from this text, the restoring grace of God to bear much fruit, then then we're missing this passage. And lastly, this is a call to the unsaved, okay? A call to the unsaved. In light of everything that we're looking at, I'm sure, maybe not, but I'm guessing that somebody here this morning might not actually be born again. And as I prayed earlier, that even one sinner would repent. And that heaven actually rejoices. 
Heaven is rejoicing this morning. I'm sure that sinners are repenting all over and receiving Christ. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Stop denying Christ. Stop denying Christ. And turn to him and come to him for eternal life. I was listening to a song on the way here, and it said that the arms of Christ are open long and wide, seeking to draw in and to embrace all those who come to him. And so I want to call you to Christ this morning. If you have yet to believe, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is true. He is real. This life is temporary. It's passing away. It's fleeting. Do you remember two Mondays ago what your plan was? It's gone. Okay? Turn to Christ. His kingdom is advancing And if you're not part of it, you too will be washed out like the flood that washed out those who rejected him. Let's pray and then sing together. Lord, I do thank you for your word. God, it's so good. It's so rich. Lord, I just pray that you would just draw each and every one of us, God, who love you, to delight in it more, to be desiring it more, to be consumed with it more, God, that we would bear much fruit Lord, that people in Maricopa would hear about Christ because saints in Maricopa Springs are proclaiming Christ. We're reaching out to neighbors. We're inviting people into our homes. We're giving of our stuff. We're giving of our time. We're concerned about others more than ourselves. God, I pray with this text edify and build as I know it will, Lord, for it goes forth as you send it. God, for you are the sovereign good shepherd, the sovereign farmer who tends to his field and bears his crop, and reaps it in his season. Lord, may you be blessed that we might sing these songs that declare your glory, your greatness, the words that they would penetrate our hearts and produce worship back to you. We bless your name and we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.